This is John Zaninovich. Welcome to Move My Mass. You'll be hearing from great guests talk about balancing life and being fit. Hey, for all you uh, race car fans out there, we have a hell of an episode today. Got a young man here that is racing in the world of outlaws, which is the top professional level you can get in dirt car racing. But what makes him amazing is his lead up to that. At 17, he left high school to go pursue his racing career in Missouri. And that same year at 17, he was, I have a list in front of me today. So, because it's long. (laughs) Yeah, 17, he was the uh, United States Auto Club West Coast Rookie of the Year. Then at 18, he was a National 360 Sprint Car Rookie of the Year. At 19, he was a National 410 Sprint Car Rookie of the Year. And then at 19, he was invited to join the World of Outlaws. Like I said before, that is the uh, top professional level you can get in, in dirt car racing. And now at 20, he's got the rest of his career in front of him. Uh, very promising. So I'd like to welcome Mason Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Glad Thank to be you here. for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah. And like I said during your introduction, uh, very impressive list of awards there. Rookie of the year over and over. And now yeah. it's time to get on with the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know of anyone that's done, you know, the, the 2017 was a midget rookie of the year in California. And so I don't think everyone's done anyone's ever done midget to three sixty to four ten. Um so that was pretty cool. We, we wish we would have had the, the World of Outlaw Rookie of the Year, but uh, we missed out on that one, but it was still a fun year. So tell me, how, how'd you get started in racing? Tell me the very beginning. What was your first taste of it? It was, uh, it was 2014, and it was Easter up on the ranch. And we had uh, some of my cousin's family there. So the gong side of the family was there too. Mm-hmm. And Pop just bought a, a 69 Chevelle that was off of an engine, uh, an engine builder in Porterville. And they're giving me a hard time. You know, they said, you know, you can't drive that car. You know, you have to drive a race car first because they were under the assumption that it had a big, big engine in it, you know, like a big race motor in it. Yeah. Um, and so my grandpa's bet was like, hey, if you work on it, if you restore the car, you can drive it when you're 16. So that's what my dad was like, oh no, you know, he's never driving that car with that engine, you know. And off well, it's hand, a race car, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And offhand, he made the joke. He's like, you can't drive that until you drive one of Chris's race cars. I mean, I was 14 at the time. (laughs) Were you going to say no? Right. I mean, I was just like, sure. Like, I'll hop in a race car. Like, that sounds fun to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember a couple weekends after Easter, you know, Chris contacted us. He's like, hey, like, were you serious? Because I'm going to go out and practice this weekend. Do you want to come? And so we did. And um, I ended up liking it. I went up and practiced four or five times at and a small... At that time, what kind of race car was that? It was a micro sprint. Okay. So it's a small... It, it looks a lot like our sprint cars now, but they have a 600cc uh, Suzuki or Yamaha like street bike motor in them. Okay. So that's what I ran. Um, and so I ended up being, you know, as a guy who's never even knew what a race car was, didn't know anything about them. You know, I grew up 
with horses and cattle on the ranch. So I never knew anything like that. And so I was pretty decent at it. And uh, we ended up purchasing two cars at the end of the 2014 year. And I think I ran four races or something like that. Yeah. Five races, just kind of when the season was ending. Right. Um, kind of a late, late jump into it. Um, and then from there, 2015, ran a full season um, of restricted at one win. And then 2016, I did both uh, non-wing and wing. So I had multiple cars at the time and I was, I was running kind of all different sorts of races and tracks up and down California. And then ended up getting a midget at the end of that year. And then 2017 would probably be like the, essentially if you like statistic wise, the best year of my career, uh, I went, you know, I ran nine midget races. I run, I won the rookie in that. I won like 12 races between non-wing and wing all throughout California. I was track champion at all, at all point. In, at one point in time, early on in the season, I was leading track champion at every single track in California. Well, they have conflicting race dates. Okay. So then you have to pick and choose kind of where you want to go for that weekend and you give up you give up your lead in one track and such on. Right. Um, <clears throat> I started to focus a lot on on moving out of micros in 2017. So I was really, I, I decided kind of mid-season when we were like, hey, you know, we're, we're really good everywhere. Um, we're leading just about everywhere we race at, but we don't race midgets at any of those tracks. And to kind of get out of micro sprints, I want to do more midget and sprint car stuff. So I, I kind of, I chose the midget over, over micro sprints. And I still ended up getting a track champion um, at some tracks here in California, even though I, I wasn't consistent there. Uh, I, I chose to go do, you know, some other stuff rather than race micros every weekend. Okay. Um, and that was my, uh, that would have been my senior year. Yeah, senior year of high school, I think. Because I would have graduated in 2018. Yeah, so that would have been the, what is it? The fall semester into my senior year. Right. And that's when um, we just got done with water polo season and going into swim season and my shoulder, you know, it just killed and, ended up having a slap tear in my shoulder. And then they said, you can, you know, you can do surgery. Uh, we can, you know, get it fixed or you can let it heal over time, but you, you have to take, you have to not swim this season. Okay. And, uh, you know, my choice was, well, you know, if I want to go to college and swim and play water polo, I need to have the surgery. But if I have the surgery, I can't race. Like I'm, I'm done racing for this whole, for like at least most of the season. Yeah. So uh, I chose racing. And then that's just kind of what, what led me kind of here. I've been kind of full focused on racing after that decision. And then I, I dropped out of my senior year and went to uh, online school and graduated early. And then in January or March of January of 2018, we decided I was moving out to the Midwest. And then in March 1st, I, uh, I packed all my stuff up, my race cars, my truck and trailer and drove it all to Missouri and started racing kind of professionally back there. Yeah. Is that your progression to the world of outlaw? Is that a normal progression that most people follow? No, my, my progression in racing in general isn't normal. You know, when you talk to these other drivers or even, you know, I have friends that have raced here in California and they're like, I started when I was six. You know, okay. they all start super young. Like go-karts or stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, go, in the micro sprint class, there's a there's a division lower called junior sprints. Okay. It's a little uh, Briggs & Stratton lawnmower mower in a car. And, you know, that's how little kids learn to race. 
Okay. And then they go to restricted and then non-wing and wing and kind of go up from there. In Northern California, outlaw carts are really popular. Um, so they do that. And even people my age race outlaw carts up there. Um, and so that's just kind of, that's kind of a, a progression um, that gets you into sprint cars. Mm-hmm. Then once you're into sprint cars, it's a different progression to the world of outlaws. You know, there's fantastic race car drivers out here in California that are, you know, top 410, 360 drivers, but they don't have, you know, the funding or don't really have the, uh, um, I don't really know what to say. They, they don't want to be gone all year on the road. You Makes know? sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's a decision to make. It's a, it's a life decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, someone in California that can race, you know, 40 times a year, that's enough for them. You know, they don't want to go do a hundred races, but never be home and stay in hotel rooms constantly. Yeah. So for the listeners that don't, you know, probably know the difference between the cars, what's the difference between a a 360 and a 410? So it'd be the uh, the exact same car. Um, Mm -hmm. So basically we just swap engines in them. So 360 would be 360 cubic inches, and that's the limit rule on them. And it's the okay. steel block. They produce the, the top 360 motors were about 750 horsepower, um, in the exact same car that I have in my that I have a 410 in. And so when you go to swap to a 410, now you're looking at an aluminum block. So you're about 150 pounds lighter on the engine, um, and you can run tie everything. And then from there you gain about 200 horsepower. So you're, we're in our 410 motors, we're doing about 950 horsepower. Or, or 950 horsepower in a car that weighs how much total? Our rate rule is 1425. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, and what's an average track size? I know um, they're different size, but what? Yeah, I'd say an average would, would probably be about uh, like a three eighths, but we do go to a lot of half miles. Um so just kind of varies. Like we'll go to quarter miles and then we go to you know, three eighths and half miles and such on. Um, so it, it does vary kind of what part of the country you're in because it's, it comes like almost clicky. Like Pennsylvania is known for super big tracks, you know, okay. super long straightaways, tight corners. So it's like regional. Yeah, it's so very regional. Will, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's very regional. You know, Iowa has these big half miles like Knoxville, you know, one of the most famous ones. It's a big half mile. And they have some other tracks that are fairground tracks that are big half miles. Uh, Missouri is kind of the same way. The most famous track in Missouri is um, Sedalia. It used to be a mile. Um, and so my Danny, his, his dad, used to race on the mile. And you can actually still go there. And the layout is just, they just, they like push the clay in to make it a half mile, but left like the banking of the, yeah. ha- of the whole mile. Okay, and so you can like you can see where the mile was, and you're racing a half mile now. Um, well, I just wanted to ask you those questions because when you watch a race, or if you just look at your car passing by, yeah, it doesn't look that powerful. Yeah, it looks fun. Yeah, but I'm trying to explain to people how much power you're behind with so little weight. Yeah, so I and think, in short, uh, you know, you're in short current curves and short tracks it's it's very impressive the talent it takes to race one of those yeah we we've had i, I know you can quote me i'm wrong but a couple of years ago someone did the math on it and it was more power to weight ratio than a formula one car in a 410 sprint car at the time i certainly don't have the knowledge to uh yeah to, I, to, to, to do that, that number so I, i'm gonna go with it yeah <laughs> 
Um, but we we have there's been a couple of like um, IndyCar guys that have done some promotions. This is probably maybe almost ten years ago now, where they came and they got in a sprint car. And these are guys who are top of their game IndyCar drivers, and they just come out and test a sprint car. And you know you listen to their interviews, and they're like, "This is crazy." They're like, "These things are are stupid crazy." He's like you guys are sliding the whole time. You know you have you know, 750 horsepower or nine or 950, depending on what they're driving, you know, all you gotta do is put your foot down and it's going to go. Yeah. And the wheelies that these cars will throw. I mean, I've been at some of these quarter miles like in Illinois, as soon as you get on the gas, your car is, you're just looking at the sky, you know, wow. if you get on too fast, that it's, it just pulls the whole front end right up. Right. So, so what's your favorite kind of track long or short? Um, I'm, or I'm, technical, like get into all of it. What's, yeah, so with me, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit, you know, partial. I, like, my first win in a sprint car was Knoxville, which mm-hmm. is super hard track to win at. There's guys racing there their whole lives and never won there. And um, Knoxville is, is always going to have a special place in my heart, and it's a big half mile, but it's a technical half mile. And there's always a bottom, there's always a top, and that's what makes a racetrack really good is it's racy, right? You don't, want, you don't want to follow the leader on the top. You don't want to follow the leader on the bottom. So as long as you have two two lines of racing that you can race on, um, that and you kind of it seems to me you see that more on half miles. So I'm more partial. I like running bigger tracks. I like the okay. speed of it, and I like how usually they're more racy than some of these uh, short tracks that we go to. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe a short track. It's like you have one line and you get behind a a train and you're just like, all right. It's yeah. really hard to get around anybody on this. There's no other line here. Yeah. So we're all just going to follow each other around. Yeah. It's basically like, it's basically that. And it's basically whoever's faster kind of following that line. And then you throw your slide jobs and, and stuff like that. And um, if it gets super technical, that's when some slide jobs start getting dirty. You know, someone thinks, oh, you know, I can clear them or something like that. And that's when you start damaging cars or, you know, wrecking cars or flipping and it doesn't end well. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I, when it goes wrong in one of those races, it goes wrong pretty fast. Yeah, no, it's it's a blink of an eye. Um, the the quickest thing, I mean, so we were on a we were on probably I don't know three eighths track in Wisconsin, and I was running tenth after starting fourteenth or fifteenth, and it's a restart, double file restart. I'm on the outside and come out turn four, we take the green. I get to turn one, and someone hits my uh, jumps over my left front tire i go into the wall and next thing i know i'm i'm upside down it's yeah, just it's just done yeah all in a matter of blink of an eye four seconds maybe but right. the crash was instant you know right so it, yeah stuff does go wrong very fast and you can it, you race long enough and you can kind of like sit back and see when something's going to go bad yeah you, you can go oh that doesn't look good you know or something like that or, or this is not going to end well for me and then you're done and you at know? that level you're racing against guys a lot older than you. Yeah. Been doing it for a lot longer than you have. Yeah. Have they been, when they see a rookie like you come on 19 years old, are they like, oh, this guy's going to wreck me? I, has it been, have they been really accepting or? So there's, there's definitely an, an um, unwritten code, you know, that all the drivers have. And I will, you can race local races and there's no code. You take people out, you just like that. They just don't really care. Oh, wow. It, it, I don't want to say they don't care, but they don't have the respect that the outlaws do for each other. You know, when you're out there running 98 races against each other every single race, 
then it's like, okay, hey, look, like this week, like th- three weekends we're in Florida. So it's like, hey, if you start wrecking people there, it's going to be a long season for you okay. because you're going to be racing those guys every week. So you don't want to have, no one ever wants to have grudges against other drivers or stuff like that. Um, but there's definitely like rules to like, you want them to respect you. You know, I, I grew up, you know, not knowing about racing, but getting into micros and then all this stuff. I have huge amounts of respect for the guys who've been doing it for 20 years and who have thousands of laps more than I do. Um, but you know, the, the top guys have been very accepting and will come over and be like, Hey, look, like here kind of what we expect mm-hmm. and follow these rules and race us how you'll be raced. And, you know, I've had Danny, who's a past World of Outlaws champion with me for the last couple of years. And he'll definitely, if he sees me do something on the track, he'll even, you know, pull me aside and be like, hey, what you did wasn't cool. Or, you know, something like that. So the other drivers don't have to come tell me or, or something like that. So Danny kind of keeps everything in check. The, the biggest thing that kind of will, will, will make you, you know, lose a lot of respect out there is if you get lapped, in a race, your night's over. Don't try to, to pass the leader back to get your right. lap back, to unlap yourself. Right. So a lot of that does happen. And a lot of the times, whoever's leading will come down to your trailer and be like, hey, look, I'm fighting for a win. You're getting lapped. Don't try to pass me back. You know, your right. night's done. Right. Sorry, bud, but your night's done. But at the same time, you, you have to race. You have yeah. to have to keep your foot in it or whatever the term is and yeah so like it's, race it's not like you can just all right it's it's never letting the leaders go by it's you hold your line where you were running on the track when the leaders get to you don't let them go by let them pass you fair and square but don't try to get your lap back right. like it, it don't pull a slider on the leader it's right. like your night's done passing him is not going to get you anything else, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you have a potential of making him lose the race or damaging his equipment or something like that. So that's probably the, the biggest unwritten rule is like, hey, if, if you're lab, you're, you're done. Just, you know, take and leave it, finish your race, race hard. You know, don't, don't give your spot to anybody, mm-hmm. but just be courteous that you're not racing for the lead. So don't interfere with the race for the lead. Yeah. And if it's, are most weekends three night races? It varies. There- Some this year it will be weird uh, with COVID. They're doing a lot of races they couldn't run last year. They're like stacking them on top of each other. So like um, the big races are normally three days at one track. Other stuffs, you know, you could be at one track in Iowa on Friday night and a track in Wisconsin on Saturday night. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'd say average is two day race weekends. And then they sometimes will throw in like a Tuesday race and then you go Friday, Saturday or something, you know? So and you, I asked the question because say you wreck Friday night. Yeah. You able to race the next night as long as you have a car ready to roll? Yeah. Or so what's we, the rule on that? Yeah. We re, we carry three cars with us at all times. So you have your primary car, which is the car that is in the bottom of the trailer and you unload that every time. Uh-huh. And then you have your backup car, which has everything ready to go. All you gotta do is put wings and wheels on it and you're ready to go. And then we have a kit car. Um, and it sits side by side with the, the backup car and that won't have any axles in it, but it'll be, it doesn't have an engine in it either. So all you need for that one to be ready is an engine, throw axles in there, put shocks on and wings on, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes it easy. You know, if you blow a motor, it's a 25, 20 minute engine change and you're back racing again. Um, so like if we take a hard wreck, 
we have enough parts to fix the car. Now, if the chassis is bent or something like that, depends where it's bent at. Anything around the cockpit, we junk the chassis for safety reasons. Okay. If it, you know, weakens the cockpit, that's that's my life. So we just get rid of that chassis. Okay. Um, if it bends the front torque tubes like that, we can fix that. Uh, we have straighteners that we can, you know, get out there. It's, it's like, you know, two bars and a jack and you just bend the metal back straight. Okay. Um, if it's so bad, then we just pull down our backup car and we'll just run the backup car. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't mention this during your introduction, but yeah, your dad was on here a yeah. few episodes ago. And yeah, I was asking him, I said, I, I can only imagine you sit in the stands and you see him wreck and you're just like, oh, there's a bunch of zeros right there. There, there went some money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For him, I don't think he he doesn't really care about that. He, he he's more right. like he's seen me take some nasty wrecks. Yeah, and I've taken nasty wrecks with him watching home in California. You know, and I think him is like you know at the end of the day, I think he you know obviously values my life more than whatever it's going to cost to fix oh, the car. Oh, for sure, for sure. So he's just like, hey, you're okay. He's like, that's fine. He said, we can we have you know we have everything to build more cars. So yeah, yeah. and I have cars sitting at the shop. So. uh you know, it, it's not like that wreck's gonna hurt anything with the race team. Most stuff off a car that's wrecked is, is pretty val- is pretty salvageable. Uh, a lot of the bolts and stuff like that. Right. The big stuff, axles and stuff like that. That stuff is definitely bent or you know has the most chance of getting damaged. Um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I've had some times where I've I've yard sailed a whole entire car and stuff. <laughs> you know, whether yeah. it's my own fault or I'm just caught up in the circumstances or whatnot, you know. It's part of racing, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. You know, something that a lot of people probably don't realize is that you don't get to practice racing. And we were talking about that before we got on the episode here. I mean, that is, that's just crazy to me to know that you're racing something with that much power and you're just like, all right, it's go time. Like, how, yeah. how do you adjust to that? Yeah, it's... It's hard. It's more of, you know, you look at, you know, I grew up playing, you know, water pool and swim for high school and so like that. And you're out there every day, two hours practicing, get better at your craft. And with racing, it costs so much to run these engines and you can only put a set number of laps on them. So anytime you want to go practice, you can, but you're only, you're by yourself or something like that at a track. You don't know how well prepped it is and so like that. So you're just better off really not practicing. Okay. So it's really hard to to come into these races with guys who you know have twenty years on you or thousands of laps and stuff like that, and you have to be as good as them. You know, you have to be competitive right off the bat. But I'm, you know, this is my practice. You know, this race is, you know, I'm adding maybe you know fifty laps to my, you know, out of like two hundred laps, I get two fifty. You know, they're yeah. at like five thousand. So yeah. it, it's hard to to you know flip that switch and kind of just, okay, I need to go as hard as I can go right now. Like, like, you know, if I'm, you know, I, if there's a top, you know, I'm going as hard as I can. Hopefully I don't blow over it. If I do, well, oh, well, I was, you know, I was trying my best. Yeah. So is it, I assume it's like other sports where the longer you've done it, the more it slows down for you. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I don't play anything anymore, but I remember playing water polo and at my peak, the game was so slow. Yeah. It's almost like I know the ball is going to go over there. I mean, of course, it don't know for sure, but you just start to figure out probabilities. Yeah. And it's really slow. I'm assuming, is it the same way in racing? Like, 
are you in the corner? Does it just slow down for you? Yeah. I would say, you know, when I first started driving 410s so the fastest cars that it, it definitely took me a long time to kind of get to that point. I'd say, you know, this year's the, the, the most comfortable I felt kind of towards the end of the year of like stuff is slowing down, you know, I, and a lot of time too is you'll catch yourself holding your breath out there, oh. right? You're, you're going so fast and you're yeah. so tense and stuff like that. You just kind of forget to breathe. Yeah. Um, so I'd say, you know, kind of the last half of this past season that we ran, I was, you know, starting to get more comfortable. But in 2019, what I really noticed was I was doing both 360 and 410 stuff. Man, hopping back into a 360, I was like, this thing, you know, this thing has engine problems, you know, <laughs> why are we not going as fast like that? Yeah. And everything just slowed way down. Yeah. It slowed down so much. Um, and that just made me a better 360 driver. And there's, I wish there was something I could hop in that's faster than a 410. So when I come back to that, I, I could feel the same, you know? Yeah. And that might, you know, speed up the process of me learning a bit more. But I, I, and I do say, you know, it, it's definitely slowed down a lot for me in the past, you know, 10 races that I ran in a 410. I felt, you know, 10 times more comfortable than I did previously. Um, but yeah, hopping back into 360, it's always interesting because you're like, this thing doesn't run or anything like that. And then yeah. you're yelling at your crew and they're like, dude, it's 360. It's not going to run compared <laughs> to the other cars. So, yeah. So that leads to fitness level. Yeah. Um, how much is fitness important in, in racing? It, it, it's very important. And people don't think, oh, you know, you drive a race car. You guys aren't athletes or stuff like that. I remember we were like, I've worn an Apple watch before. And um, just to see what my heart rate is at, it's like 175. You know, like at the top of like when you're out there, like you're you're just you're wow. you're exerting yourself so much, and you know in the conditions too. Because you know, I wished I raced here in California with the weather that we have out here. It's it's never you know it gets a hundred and you know in the summers, but it's never humid. So in the Midwest, we just you just got out of the car and you sweat. You know, you're not even racing and you sweat, and yeah. then you're trying to you know maneuver your car on twenty four other cars. And the cars, what we call, they can be tight sometimes. It means they not want to turn. So you have to muscle them into like turning. So like a lot of the motions kind of like you're sitting really how I sit in my cockpit. I'm sitting in this chair. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's like elbows up, steering wheel. And it's a lot of, you know, four, uh, forearms and and um, just trying to turn. And then a lot of neck muscles. That's with the airspeed coming at you and the Gs of turning. You'll kind of get in a spot if your neck's not real strong you just kind of like your head kind of gets kicked back into like the corner of your seat. Yeah. And then you're just like trying to drive like that just because it's, it's so much speed coming at you. And then after a long race, your neck's tired and your shoulders are tired and you just kind of hurt the next day, especially if the track's bumpy. Mm -hmm. I run my seat so tight. I'm taking like rib shots. I feel like every time there's like a hole in the track that you have to hit, it feels like someone's punching you in the gut. So I bet it does. a lot of cardio that we try to do, um, you don't really want to work out on days you race because that is a workout. Yeah. Um, so like during the week, we do a lot of cardio, a good amount of strength, kind of for your arms mainly, just in case the car's, you know, ill handling, you can muscle it into there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of that. But, you know, like I said, you, you can never get into race shape without racing. That's- so I, I could be, you know, I'm in, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape here. I've worked out all, uh, you know, all winter long, kind of right. like that. But I know when I get in the car next weekend, it's gonna it's gonna take me that weekend till I feel comfortable again and I'm not heavy breathing and stuff like that. Yeah, you can't replicate that that tension. Yeah. Where you know. every muscle is probably just firing and yeah. you can't or I don't think you can replicate it, but 
I've never found a way to replicate it doing this, you know, for the past yeah. five years. And and I can never get, I can never be what I consider in racing shape before I start racing. I can be in good shape, especially if I played water polo and swim. I was year round athlete. Yeah. First race of the year, I was still always like, man, my arms are jello or something like that. Um, so that's always, it's always something you try to get in the best shape you can, but there's always more. There's always that, that last 10% to get into racing shape. You have to do it through racing. No, I was told to ask you, have you ever fallen out of the seat? Oh. <laughs> Maybe explain that term. <laughs> ever happen? Yeah, it's happened a couple of times. Um, we call it falling out of the seat, which just means you're exhausted. You're, you're yeah. done and you can't go hard anymore. So um, You bonk. It's what the endurance, an endurance athlete happens to them. Okay. Yeah, you, you're in shape, but you just... You don't have any more. It's it's just done. Your yeah. body says, I, you know what? I don't have any more to give you. Yeah, yeah. So it happens at a, a lot of a lot of tracks where we like to cart when you have to be really up on the wheel. So you have to be constantly constantly turning, constantly doing stuff, constantly working the brake and throttle, and all that stuff. And you just kind of get tired real fast. You could be good for fifteen laps, and then yeah. you hit that mark, and your body's like, man, can we just like ride around for the last fifteen? <laughs> like, I'm tired. Like, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, I've fallen out of the seat. I think everyone does. Um, especially probably you'll, you'll find it more in these, the first races out of the year until everyone kind of gets back into racing shape. Um, but definitely like, I, I would say it doesn't really happen on half miles cause you're not doing a lot. It's more technical. Okay. But when you get to some of those quarter mid quarter, uh, mile tracks and you're really hustling the car and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you, I mean, there's a good chance after that 30 laps is done, you're, you're exhausted. And would you say the whole series works out? Everybody in the series works out pretty good? Yeah. Or is there a group that says, you know what? Nah, I'm just, I'm relying on muscle memory here. A lot of the older guys. Yeah. Older guys have been doing it for 30 years. I yeah. mean, they, they've been doing it forever, long before I was born. And so they, they're just muscle memory guys. Um, you know, we've seen some guys let themselves go over the years and still be good racers. Then, you know, there's a guy named Jason Sides who's on, on tour last year. It was his 20th year. You know, I love him. He's been like a mentor to me. Like I, I parked dude next to him at tracks and have a good time. But in the 2020 season, he lost a ton of weight during the okay. off season. Tried to get back into shape. Um, and so I think that's helped him, you know, definitely, you know, this past season. But yeah, you'll see guys kind of, kind of vary body, body weights. You know, there's, there's guys that run sprint cars that are huge. That yeah. are like 6'4", 200 pounds, like big guys. Yeah. And they're good. And then there's guys... Uh, that are super small, you know, Rico Abreu's a midget. Is there any advantage to that? I mean, it's a silly question. You're running a thousand horsepower, so it's probably, the car probably maybe not noticed the body weight, but is there an advantage? <laughs> it doesn't really seem to be. Um, yeah. Our weight rule last year was, mainly it's weight, right? So our weight rule last year was 1,400 pounds. No one came close to that. I mean, we're spending lots of money to put tie bolts, tie everything, ultra lightweight stuff. And still no one can really get that low anymore. So this year they kicked it up to 1425. And I okay. think there was only, there was one guy last year in Volusia. It was Ian Matson, who's a, who's a skinny dude. And uh, I think he weighed 1430. I think that's what, that's the lowest he could get his car. Um, so yeah, it, I think at, at kind of this point of racing, kind of the technology we have here, you can be my size, you can be someone super small, and you can be someone bigger than me. 
and you can still win races. You can still okay. you can still do well. Um, I don't think it's it's really too much of an issue nowadays. Now, back in the day in the early 2000s, when kind of technology was first coming around, weight was a huge thing to try to get rid of. But now, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I don't think, you know, we the Chili Bowl was on last night and there's guys there that run carbon fiber bodies throughout the whole entire car, ultra lightweight stuff. The guy that won it has an aluminum body on. Oh, okay. You know, it's Kyle Larson, but he's he's un, he's unbelievably talented in a race car. Yeah. But his car wasn't, you know, was heavier than probably everyone else's behind him. So I don't think weight's too big of an issue right now. Oh, that's good. Speaking of weight, you're you're gone almost every weekend racing somewhere yeah. else. So you're traveling the yeah. entire time. How do you stay on top of your nutrition? It's hard. It's really hard. What are your um, tricks? So the past couple of years when we were out kind of months on end, the really only food that I was, you know, had access to and we stopped some of that was just truck stop food. And I have, I've started to see a switch. So three years ago, you're walking at truck stop food. It's in you know, this greasy food and stuff like that. And I'd say this last year, I really started to notice loves and all the big truck stop chains. Now, like, they have all these like nuts and and like more nutritional stuff for you, fresh uh, fruit out and stuff. Um, but you know, this past year I've also been in a motorhome, so I've yeah. been I've had the advantage of keeping my own food with me. Okay, and that's even a challenge too, though, because after a night of racing and I might you know get done in one spot and have to go eight hours to the next spot, I can't cook a meal. You know, yeah. you're you're tired. You need to get on the road because you have to sleep. You know, you know, you could be getting done at, with a race at twelve o'clock. I have to drive at least halfway. So you drive, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, stop and and try to, you know, maybe if you, I carry deli meat with me. So a deli meat sandwich or um, Healthy Choice, the uh, ConAgra brand of frozen food is it's really healthy, high in protein. Microwave that or something like that. Right. Um, but when we're definitely at a track for a day or two days or three days, I do cook. I, I, I do like meal prep. Okay. Um, essentially That's and stuff like that. That idea. way, when I'm already come out of a race car, come in, I already have food done there. I don't got to put any effort into cooking or anything like that. Um, but I have noticed change that, you know, you can actually get pretty healthy stuff now from a truck stop. And that wasn't like it two years ago or three years ago. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. I know, right? You don't, but I wouldn't say, I mean, it's not the restaurants that are in truck stops because those are still big chains, right? There's still McDonald's, Arby's, Jack in the Box. That's all that people, mainly people are going to get. But over in the truck stop side, they do have some sandwiches and fresh fruit and, you know, cashews and stuff that you can grab now. Um, protein bars that are a lot healthier. So when you when you do travel and you're stuck to a semi, that's what a lot of guys get. You know, they try to watch their weight because, you know, they'll work Friday, Saturday night, but maybe Sunday, Monday is two days of driving. You might have yeah. to go across the country to go to the next race. So you're just sitting there. So you try to watch what you eat. Yeah. And there's a lot to it where, you know, what you put in your body affects like your mental state. Like if you figured out like foods to stay away from for you personally, like, okay, before a race, I've learned not to eat this or that or drink this or that. I don't eat. Oh, really? I eat lunch. But as soon as, I, and I might have a power bar at, at like 3.30 or 4. But as soon as driver's meeting happens, which is anywhere from like 5 to 6, 6.30, somewhere in there, depending on the schedule of the day. Once that hits, I don't eat for the rest of the night. I just stay hydrated. That's really the only thing. And is that from experience? Like you had a no. bad experience or it's just 
do your thing. I've done both. So when uh-huh. I grew up racing micros in California and midgets, I would eat because my dad's very, hey, fuel for fire. You got to keep fueling yourself because you are working out. You're exerting a lot of energy. You're sweating. You're losing a lot of water. So you need to eat. So I, I was, but then I transitioned to sprint cars. Danny's old school. And he grew up racing, you know, in the 90s and, and early 2000s like that. And his motto was just, he just never ate. So when I started racing with him, he told me, he's like, look, as soon as drives meeting starts, I don't want you eating anything. Do I agree with that now? Like from a nutrition standpoint, probably not because mm-hmm. it throws off your whole eating schedule for the day. And then it throws your sleeping schedule off. It just kind of messes with everything. And it's hard for your body to really rest, you know, after a night, after like a long night. Yeah. And then like even during the week, you have to stay on that sleep schedule and eating schedule. So like, you know, if I don't go to bed till three o'clock Friday and Saturday nights, because that's when I'm finally able to go to bed after a race. Well, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I can't switch it and go back to going to bed at eight because then it hits eight o'clock on a race night. Makes I'm tired. total sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. So if you ever ask like a crew guy or a driver, like their sleep schedule or eating schedule, it's, it's probably super messed up. Because if, if we're not staying up late during the weekdays that we're not racing, then we hit like eight o'clock on a race night and you're already tired. Well, essentially you work the night shift. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you have to stay in that cycle. And then, so that, that does like, I'll, you know, like I'll forget to eat. Like when I'm doing cross country drives in the motor and stuff like that, I don't want to say it's an inconvenience because I know my dad instilled on me nutrition, super important. You always have to eat every meal, but it's just like, man, I don't want to eat McDonald's. Or like, I'm, I don't have access to go to a grocery store because I'm in a big motorhome right now. So if I don't buy food the week before or have something with me, then I just skip a meal, have some power bar maybe, you know, something just to keep me going until I can right. get stopped, go and buy groceries and make dinner or something like that. But uh, it's hard. It's definitely, it, it varies so much, kind of like where you are in the country and stuff like that. So, but we try to stay on top of it, try to... Try to, you know, go to bed at a decent time and, and eat good meals when you're not racing because Friday and Saturday night come, you know, dinner could be a sandwich at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, and that takes just years of experience to figure out what works and what doesn't. And, yeah. You know, you're just, you're gaining that experience, which is a great thing. Yeah. So what's your, what's your ultimate goal? What are your, what are your dreams with racing? You know, there's always people... That, have, that, you know, they always want to go to NASCAR or stuff like that. I'm pretty content where I'm at. You know, I, I don't really have an interest. You know, if the opportunity comes to go run some asphalt stuff like that, I'd, I'd probably gladly go try it out. And if, you know, if I thought I was good in it and the team thought I was good in it, but they wanted me to pay because that's basically how racing goes now is that, you know, if you're good, they'll let you test in it. And if they like you, they say, okay, now we need half a million or a million to run a season. I'm fine. I don't want to go do that. Yeah. I don't want to spend that much money to to go do that. Okay. So uh, I'm pretty pretty content where I'm at right now. Um, ready, you're ready to start winning on the. Yeah, I this, do, I'm ready to start being competitive where I am right now. Right. Um, and that's really you know when I started out this this goal of when I transitioned to sprint cars, Word of Outlaws is where I wanted to be, and um, you know, that's where I wanted to be competitive. And so I knew that, you know, the quicker I could get there, the quicker I could be competitive. Because I could I could race local for, you know, four years and mm-hmm. then go try to do it. But there's nothing like racing with the outlaws. 
their competition level is so much higher. So, right. you know, if you go, like I did last year, you know, at 19 and go join the World of Outlaws and, and race with them, you're not going to do, you know, you're not, not going to break records. But you're gaining so much more experience than you would if you did local. So, you know, my goal again this year is just get up to speed with them, get more competitive and start being competitive. I'm sure you're going to be. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully. And I want to thank you for coming on. And I encourage everybody to follow Mason Daniel Racing. Mm -hmm. And where can they watch you? I know they can Dirt, stream it. Yeah, DirtVision. DirtVision.com uh, will stream every, every Word of Outlaw race that we have, starting in Florida, going till Charlotte in November. Uh, I think it's, they just put it out. It's $2.99 for a year. And that includes all 98 races. Or if you just want to pick and choose, I think it's like 30, 38, 39 a month, depending on if you just want to see, you know, maybe that month of racing. All right, everybody. Mason Daniel Racing, go check it out. Thank you so much, Mason, for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 